Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 9 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is part one of a two-part case, with the second instalment available next week. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. A woman in her early 20s goes missing on a journey home from work. A few days pass and some of her belongings are found, discarded just under 20 miles away. Police suspect foul play and a murder charge is laid. But why was she killed? And where was her body? It was a day like any other. Helen McCourt left her job during the late afternoon of Tuesday, February 9th, 1988. The 22-year-old worked as a computer operator at the headquarters for the Royal Insurance Company on Old Hall Street in Liverpool. Helen had moved back in with her mother Mary and younger brother Michael, who was 19 at the time. Helen's parents did not live together. They had divorced some years ago. 
she did not see a great deal of her father William, who was a driver and often worked away from home. The office worker had planned to meet her mother and grandmother for lunch that day. However, due to the bad weather, they cancelled the get-together. Helen's mother Mary would later recall to a packed courtroom how Helen had been struggling after the breakup from her former boyfriend of two and a half years. She would often stay out late. In a drink-fueled fight a few days earlier, Helen had been left with a large scratch up the back of one of her hands. The injury was caused by an altercation with another young woman in the village pub, the Georgian Dragon. The wound came from either a ring or a nail. She could not be sure. Over lunch that day, Helen told a shocked colleague, Suzanne Fisher, about what had happened. Helen did not seem the sort of person to get into a fight. She had called her mother shortly before 4pm. She said she would be in for dinner and planned to meet her new boyfriend later that night. Helen had only been dating him for a short time. As she wanted to make a good impression, Helen asked her mother if they could eat early so she had time to get ready, take a shower and put on her makeup. It would be the last time Mary and her daughter would speak. After she finished her shift, Helen left the office. She walked less than one mile southeast to Liverpool Lime Street and boarded the front carriage of the 416 train to St Helens getting some respite from the high winds that blew outside. As the train had arrived at Prescott sometime around 4.30pm, Helen was seen on the train reading a book and briefly chatting to a fellow colleague. Her home was on Standish Avenue in the village of Billinge. From St Helen's train station, the remainder of her journey, around three and a half miles, was made on foot and by bus. After she got off at her stop, Helen did some shopping on Shore Street. She spoke to a friend and from what could be gathered, she purchased a toothbrush and several other items from a chemist. She walked along Corporation Street in the heavy wind towards the bus stop and hopped aboard the 362 outside the Theatre Royal around 5pm. The bus was very crowded. Helen was witnessed by several passengers, some of whom she knew. She spent the short journey chatting and got off the bus alone around 5.15pm. According to a friend, Helen had been speaking to a mutual male acquaintance. She seemed cheerful. After the bus ride, Helen's journey on foot would take her from Rainford Road, which adjoins the A571 on Main Street, then Garswood Road to Ashfield Crescent, before she entered Standish Avenue where she lived. Helen was a few minutes' walk from her front door. Her dinner was ready, and her family waited, and waited, and waited.
but Helen never came home. On the following day, Wednesday, February 10th, Helen's mother had already visited Helen's place of work and called around all the hospitals in the area, but without any luck. Mary McCourt had even rung the owner of the village pub but received no response. Helen's mother was concerned that in the high winds of the previous evening her daughter might have been struck by an object. Perhaps a piece of slate or roof tile had come off in the storm and Helen was incapacitated. The Merseyside police spent a great deal of time interviewing both Helen's colleagues and her fellow passengers on the train and bus route she took home, asking them if she had been speaking to anyone suspicious. Detective Chief Inspector Frank Thompson appealed to the public. He asked that anyone who had seen Helen McCourt in the hours leading up to her disappearance contact the police. She's described as being five foot tall, medium build, fresh complexion, blue-green eyes, dark hair. When she was last seen, Helen was wearing a beige coat, green blouse, brown trousers, maroon scarf and green mittens, along with a matching necklace and opal and sapphire earrings which she had been gifted on her 21st birthday. She was carrying a baby blue handbag. She is a happy-go-lucky person and also very reliable, DCI Thompson said. We cannot rule out the possibility that something of a criminal nature may have befallen her. Ellen had a large circle of friends as she was well-liked. They remarked that she was bubbly, and would strike up a conversation with anyone. Born during 1965, Helen McCourt was raised in Ashton in Makerfield, a town only a short distance from Wigan. She did remarkably well in her studies, and outside school enjoyed tap dancing and ballet. She joined the Brownies, and in her teenage years she worked selling Avon cosmetics. Ellen took life by the horns for someone so young. She travelled to several countries throughout Europe and did not want to waste a second of her life. She moved to London, finding clerical work at Springfield Hospital. While she enjoyed the buzz of being in the English capital, she slowly became homesick. Realising that she would prefer a job closer to home, Helen returned after six months. She quickly found employment in the local pub before she worked in the offices of the Royal Insurance Company. Although officers hoped Helen would be found alive and well, they planned for the worst. As Helen was spotted so close to home, Detective Chief Superintendent Eddie Aldred, who headed up Merseyside CID, requested that all properties on her route be searched, including cellars, attics and outhouses. She went missing only 200, 300 yards from her home. And she's a very, very reliable girl, a nice girl from a a decent family background. 
A friend had been comforting Helen's family while they prayed for a call that brought good news. Choosing to remain nameless, this person spoke with a journalist for the Liverpool Echo and described how popular Helen was and the shock of what had happened. They couldn't understand why Helen was missing. She had no problems in life and everything to look forward to. No one can think of any reason why she should disappear. As it was looking more likely that something sinister had occurred, Helen's parents made an appeal for information. Her father said, We think someone must be holding her, though heaven knows why. All we want is for her to be back with us safe and well. His former partner and Helen's mother, Mary, was distraught. I am very upset and worried about Helen's safety. If there is anyone who has any information, no matter how small, about Helen's whereabouts, I urge them to contact the police. Officers repeatedly walked the route Helen would have taken after she got off the bus. Detectives would not rule out the possibility that she might have got a lift in a vehicle with someone she knew, as the weather was particularly poor that evening. Three days later, an arrest was made in connection with Helen McCourt's disappearance. While the identity of the suspect was not disclosed, it was understood he was also from the village where Helen lived. Police remained suitably tight-lipped, telling reporters nothing more than the suspect was helping detectives with their inquiries. They did confirm, however, that the individual in custody was neither Helen's new boyfriend nor any of her old flames. Officers were of the belief that Helen's body had been concealed by her killer in an area of thick undergrowth, possibly a ditch where she was buried in a shallow grave. This spurred a request to the Royal Air Force, asking if heat-seeking equipment could be employed over the vast areas of open woodland in the hope this might lead to some clues. Police divers also scoured the Carr Mill Dam, the largest body of inland water in Merseyside two miles north of the centre of St Helens, and Manchester Ship Canal at Hollins Green, around 15 miles southeast. A detailed search of the fields adjoining the village was organised. Around 2,000 volunteers had lined up outside St Aidan's Church and flooded the streets of Billinge, bringing traffic to a standstill, many of whom would be turned away. The 600 people that took part in the search were well prepared for a long day in harsh conditions, wrapped up warm dressed in jackets, jumpers, waterproof trousers and Wellington boots. The police, some on horseback, canvassed the vast grassy areas and farmland. Grouped by the dozen, members of the search party were assigned under the supervision of a police constable, 
steadily sweeping the fields that included swathes of brambles and gorse. One local Aidan ward who was volunteering said, Mrs. McCourt won't be able to sleep until her daughter is found, and it is up to us to do what we can. Searchers combed every stream and copse for miles around the village. The police have already carried out an aerial search without finding any clues. While the search goes on for her body, police are still interviewing a 31-year-old man in connection with her disappearance. Flyers picturing Helen were circulated, appealing for any witnesses who had seen the missing 22-year-old as she made her way home on that dark, stormy evening. Furthermore, the village pub The George and Dragon on Main Street had been closed. The landlord Ian Sims spoke with detectives. Helen had previously worked there part-time and often frequented the public house. She would usually pass the establishment on her way home. The pub was visited by people of all ages as it was the only place in the village where someone could get a drink unless they were willing to travel a few miles either to St Helens or Wigan. The police came to learn of the altercation Helen had with another young woman in the pub and requested that any members of the public who saw the incident come forward. It was reported that detectives were in the process of speaking to a 21-year-old woman to understand the nature of the argument she had with Helen. However, the individual's name was not initially released. Also, officers asked the public if they had seen a dark blue Volkswagen Passat hatchback in the remote areas of the village or its surrounds, which included a nearby quarry pit. It seemed detectives believed that Helen may have been killed and her body buried at a site where thorns and clay were present. There were rumours that this was somehow linked to the suspect. A witness who walked his dog every day around the Manchester Ship Canal area at Hollins Green had spotted a car on the morning of Wednesday, February 10th, the day after Helen went missing a drive of just over 23 minutes from Billinge. The vehicle appeared to have been backed up to the water. The dark blue Volkswagen Passat he had seen was already coincidentally in the possession of the Merseyside police, being analysed by a team of forensic officers. Near where the car was parked, the witness found two blood-stained bar towels and some men's clothing that included jeans, a jumper and some underwear, along with a pair of boots. It was clear that the police were questioning someone of interest, as the individual appeared before St Helens Magistrate Court, although he was not charged. As reporting restrictions were in place, he could not be identified. However, a judge allowed the suspect to be held for further questioning. He had already been in police custody for 36 hours. The maximum time limit allowed before an application to a magistrate must be made if the suspect has not been charged.
it was not long before a murder charge was laid. Again appearing at St. Helen's Magistrate Court on Monday, February 15th, six days after Helen went missing, Ian Sims stood before a judge. He was the landlord of the George and Dragon pub. A crowded public gallery watched on as the 31-year-old from Billinge, who was smartly dressed in a blazer shirt and trousers, was told he would remain in custody until a further hearing the following week. At one point, Sims briefly glanced back to the onlookers in the courtroom. He spoke few words in the brief hearing, before Sims was led away in handcuffs. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand, and now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safer families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to centair.com and using promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order.
That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at centair.com. To try and piece together Helen McCourt's last known movements, Merseyside police staged a reconstruction of her journey home exactly a week after she went missing. Dressed in matching clothing, a young woman similar in appearance boarded a packed bus shortly before five o'clock outside the Theatre Royal, exiting around ten minutes later close to Main Street before walking the short distance back to Standish Avenue. The last sighting of Helen was around quarter past five on Main Street. Maybe a passing motorist had seen her. Following the reenactment, police located a further six witnesses that saw Helen on the bus, bringing the total to 21 people who could confirm she had taken the journey. Police were confident Helen was murdered on her final walk home. However, her body had still not been found. The search continued over the subsequent weeks. Police turned their focus from the quarries, woodland and open fields to the numerous coal mines that were littered throughout the wider Billinge area, some of which were hundreds of years old. Tracker dogs were deployed as mine shafts were examined and police frogmen were drafted in to explore those shafts now full of water. Local farmers were asked to search their land and any outbuildings where a body might be hidden. Due to the sheer scale of the area, police had managed to exclude vast sections following flybys over open woodland, but there still remained a great deal of land that had become overgrown as it was forgotten to time. In tandem, an appeal was made for any motorists on the A57 that may have seen the suspect's vehicle a dark blue Volkswagen. It was understood the driver may have travelled along this route. A further court hearing would follow on March 9th, exactly one month after Helen McCourt's disappearance. Ian Sims again appeared before a magistrate in St Helens. But around the same time, 18 miles east, following a fingertip search, the police discovered Helen's clothing, which she was wearing on the evening she was last seen. In a black bin bag, a coat, scarf and mittens were recovered from land overgrown with brambles around the banks of the River Earl. A member of the public who was shooting rats on the riverbank stumbled upon Helen's handbag, which contained some of her personal effects. This included a red comb, wooden key ring and a hair slide. The bag also held a receipt from Superdrug, some powdered chocolate milk drinks, a chocolate orange and an Avon catalogue. A crossword book, some shampoo, nail varnish, lipstick an unopened pair of stockings and a timesheet of Helen's would also be found. The area, located behind the Earlham Swimming Baths in Greater Manchester, around three miles from the Manchester Ship Canal where the dark blue Volkswagen was spotted, was searched by divers as they scoured the waterways. 
The A57 could have been used by the suspect to travel between the bank of the River Irwell and Manchester Ship Canal to hide the numerous pieces of evidence. As the months passed, multiple searches were completed around Billinge and the woodland that surrounded the location where Helen's clothing was discovered. A bulldozer removed topsoil in a field in Rixton off the A57. Although the hunt for Helen's body had so far remained fruitless, detectives remained optimistic. By the start of May, almost three months since Helen had disappeared, the man suspected of her murder, Ian Sims, was due to face committal proceedings. The hearing would determine whether the evidence was adequate enough to go to trial. The requirement to carry out committal proceedings for serious offences would be abolished in England during 2013. Still, back in 1988, the sufficiency of evidence would need to be established before a case was passed to the Crown Court. Ian Sims was committed for trial at Liverpool Crown Court. Exact details of the case still remained a mystery to the public, as reporting restrictions were in place. By September 1988, the pursuit to find Helen's body had been scaled back, with only a handful of searches completed amongst the dense thorns, ditches and waterways close to where her clothing was found. Resolute to find her body, Helen's family, including her mother Mary, would not give up and continued looking every weekend. Under the direction of an assigned officer, Helen's relatives scanned remote areas of Greater Manchester and Cheshire, even collecting soil samples for forensic analysis. They did not want to leave any stone unturned. Hopeful they would discover her daughter's remains, Mary McCourt said. Even after all this time, we would still like to find Helen so we can give her a proper Christian burial. The family continued their search throughout the remainder of 1988, not missing a weekend, and even went out during Christmas and over the New Year. They never gave up hope. However, despite Helen remaining in their hearts and minds, her body would not be found. The anniversary of her disappearance came and went, but still nothing. It was hoped the trial would find the answers Helen's family so desperately deserved. As February 1988 drew to a close, the jury at Liverpool Crown Court saw Ian Sims in the dock, charged with the murder of Helen McCourt. 
The proceedings were substantial, with around 200 witnesses due to be called over the period of three weeks, during which time the judge, barristers, jury and the defendant would be visiting the village of Billinge and the George and Dragon pub. In his opening statement before Mr Justice Caulfield, Brian Leveson QC, acting for the prosecution, told the jury that 10 minutes after Helen McCourt got off the bus around 5.15pm on the evening of February 9th, 1988, a high-pitched scream could be heard coming from Main Street, emanating specifically from the George and Dragon public house. The witness who just so happened to have been getting off another bus heard the scream but did not see anything. Alleging that Helen had been murdered and her body secreted away in a location still only known to the defendant, Prosecutor Brian Leveson QC said that nearly all of the clothing Helen had on or was carrying that evening had been found during an exhaustive search by the police. The police had tied Ian Sims to the crime, as a section of one of the earrings Helen was wearing had been found in the back of Sims' car. The corresponding butterfly clip from the back of the earring was discovered in a bedroom of the flat where Sims stayed above the Georgian Dragon pub, along with a toothbrush which it was believed Helen had purchased in a St Helen's chemist the evening of her disappearance. In addition, blood which corresponded to Helen's blood group was found in and around the boot of Sims' car and on the stairs of the public house in a pattern which suggested the body had been struck more than once when already wet with blood. A bloody fingerprint was also found on the inside of the door frame at the foot of the staircase leading to the flat above the pub and a blood stain was found on the wallpaper. The prosecution claimed this was the area where Helen had been attacked before she was dragged upstairs into a back bedroom. According to forensic scientists, blood corresponding to Helen's blood group was also found on some clothing which belonged to Sims. It was alleged he had discarded the highly muddied items around Manchester Ship Canal at Hollins Green. His car was covered in a great deal of mud when officers went to retrieve it. The same mud was found on a bracelet and two rings which Sims was wearing when he was arrested. The rings in question could not be easily removed. The prosecutor proposed that Sims was at one stage, up to his wrists in this very mud. The inside of Sims' car was also muddy, The sections of the vehicle were consistent with the driver being coated in a great deal of mud. Moreover, a length of electric flex was discovered along with Helen's clothing. It was intertwined with hairs that matched Helen's. They had been tinted in a similar fashion to hers. Bite marks were also apparent on the flex, consistent with impressions from the landlord's dog. Several hairs microscopically similar to the strands found on Helen's hair rollers were discovered on a parcel shelf from the boot of Sim's car and a bedroom in the flat. They had all been forcibly removed. 
Carpet fibres from throughout the pub and adjoining flat were microscopically similar to those found on Helen's coat and trousers, which had been discarded in Earlham. On a cotton jacket found nearby which was later identified as belonging to Sims, forensic experts found several hairs. Some were consistent with those found in Helen's home and others were microscopically similar to Sims' dog. The former were also damaged and appeared to have been pulled out or broken. As he concluded his opening statement, Brian Leveson QC told the jury, The Crown makes these allegations, and the Crown must prove so that you feel sure not only that Helen McCourt is in fact dead, but also that Ian Sims murdered her. How can it be proved that she is dead without a body? When you have heard the evidence, you will not have the slightest doubt. The search for Helen was to last a year. A huge area of northwest England was covered by frogmen, mounted police, and volunteers from her home village, but she was never found. With no body, no witnesses, and no confession, detectives were relying on the skills of forensic scientists. The prosecution told the jury that brick by brick they would build a wall of forensic evidence which would leave no doubt that Helen McCourt was dead and that Sims had killed her. While it was then a relatively new science, familial DNA profiling was utilised to link Sims to the crime. Blood found on jeans and a jumper he was said to have worn when he carried out the murder was analysed. The DNA profile, or more precisely deoxyribonucleic acid in the blood found on Sims' genes, were 126,000 times more likely to belong to a child of Helen's parents than that of a random member of the public. On the jumper, the results were 28,000 times more likely. The technique of using DNA had first been employed to convict Colin Pitchfork for the rape and murder of Linda Mann and Dawn Ashworth a year earlier, a case covered on Season 2, Episode 21 of this podcast. The case of Helen McCourt was the first to use DNA profiling without a body, as experts took samples from Helen's parents. The alleged reason behind Ian Sims taking the life of Helen McCourt was related in part to him having an affair with Tracy Hornby. This relationship had been ongoing for several years. She was 18 when they had first met. At that time, before he became the landlord, Ian Sims worked as a bouncer at the pub. He was then living with his family, only a short walk away. Sims told his wife Nadine that he had to stay overnight at the premises for security reasons. However, he would spend that time in the flat above the pub with Tracy Hornby. It was alleged by the prosecution that Sims was angry with Helen as she had been talking about the affair to others. On the evening of February 9th, the day Helen McCourt disappeared, Tracy Hornby was due to meet Ian Sims at 7pm. However, he got in touch with her and asked that they meet later. 
Sims was spotted by a witness who lived across the road from the pub, sometime around 6pm, moving his car from the front of the building where it was usually parked to a side entrance adjacent to a bowling green. He left the pub around 7.30pm, returning two and a half hours later. Sims was questioned by police, and at first he told them he was with Tracy Hornby. However, his story later changed. He told detectives that he had travelled to Southport Promenade, a journey of around 20 miles, to reflect on the difficulties he was having in his marriage. Also, during questioning, it was noted by officers that Sim's neck had clearly been scratched. While not bloody, the red marks several inches in length were made close to his Adam's apple. He claimed that they were inflicted a few days before Helen's disappearance when he tried to break up a fight. A patron of the pub, Janice Smullen, had allegedly caused them in an altercation with Helen McCourt, an incident which it was suggested had left Sims highly agitated, a fact backed up by several of the pub's regulars who heard how angry he was with Helen. And finally, there were rumours that Sims had made sexual advances towards her, which he had rebuffed. Brian Leveson QC proposed the idea that Helen may have dropped into the Georgian Dragon pub on her way home from work to see if she would be allowed back following the altercation with Janice Smullen. There were understandably few details on what was said or how Sims allegedly instigated the attack. Helen had previously been barred from the pub in the past, although this was something Sims denied. Interestingly, when Tracy Hornby saw Ian Sims later that night, after Helen's disappearance, she saw some scratches and asked where they came from. Sims told her that his wife had lashed out when he admitted to her that he was having an affair. Stranger still, Ian Sims rose earlier than usual. He spent the morning of Wednesday, February 10th, the day after Helen vanished, cleaning the stairs leading from the pub to the flat with a brush dipped in bleach. Sims would claim he was cleaning up after his dog. The defendant proclaimed his innocence, insisting he was in no way responsible for Helen McCourt's death. This is the end of episode 9. To hear more on the case of Helen McCourt, please tune in next week. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to our new Patreon producer, Ryan McNaughton, and everyone who supports us on Patreon. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.